Good. So we have the customs for the ninth day of Tishrei, which is really Erev Yom Kippur. Erev Yom Kippur. Now, uh, one of the things about uh, the Erev Yom Kippur is, even though it's not like a official holiday in which they brought special sacrifices and uh, like uh, work is permitted, basically Erev Yom Kippur is the weekday. But yet, it's considered to be a, uh, a Yom Tov. It's considered to be a holiday. Um, there is a mitzvah to eat on the day before Yom Kippur. And we actually learned in the Shulchan Aruch that even though it's a mitzvah to eat, but you get reward as if you fasted. Uh, so it's like uh, a big mitzvah, and it's a lot of reward for it. Uh, the Torah gives us uh, an opportunity to honor Yom Kippur by eating, even though we can't eat on Yom Kippur itself. So the day before we eat, so that's the way we honor Yom Kippur itself. Now, that's right. And this is all shows that Hashem's kindness with us, He only asks us to fast once a year. And that time of the year, he also tells us to make sure to eat so that we'll be healthy, that we can take the fast, and we'll be strong. But because of all that, Tachanun, which is the prayer of asking Hashem forgiveness and Al-Chait, Hashemnu, uh, etc., the confession, we don't do that starting from the ninth day of Tishrei, all the way through the entire month of Tishrei until after the second day of Rosh Chodesh, Mar Cheshven. That means the whole, month, the whole rest of the month we don't say it. Of course, with the exception, we do the al and the Sham Noan Yom Kippur itself. But starting with the third, with uh, this year, with Erev Yom Kippur, with Friday, we are not going to say Tachanun, all the ways through the uh, second day of Rosh Chodesh Cheshun. Now, oh, and by Thursday Mincha, we actually do say uh, we do say Tachanun. Uh, the uh, that's interesting um, because on Thursday's day we will say Tachanun. In many days, that's right. Many times, the mincha preceding the day that you don't say tachanun, we don't say tachanun on the mincha either. Uh, it's sort of the yom tov, the celebration sort of is advanced earlier. But an erev uh, yom kippur, uh, it only starts uh, from actually according to, from midnight. It would seem, meaning that if one would. Uh, go to sleep after midnight, uh, one would not say Tachanun in the Kriya Shema Shalamita on the uh, Shema that he says we're going to sleep. He probably would not say um, Tachanun there once midnight, after midnight. The real holiday begins in the morning, but it seems that after midnight already it's part of the, of the next day. Uh, unlike before Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, we would say slichas in the morning on Erev Rosh Hashanah, so it only begins not saying Tachanun, only begins after slichas is over, starting with the service of Shachris. 
but Kriyash Mashalamita, even if it's after midnight, one would say Tachanon on Erev Rosh Hashanah. But Erev Yom Kippur, we don't have that slicha. So after, once it's after midnight already, it's already like the next day, and no Tachanon is said. And like I said, that goes through the entire month until the second of Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. Then one of the big things that we have, yeah, I'm sorry? Why not? Why the whole month? Okay, so that's a very good question. So Yom, after Yom, between Yom Kippur and Russia and and Sukkot, yeah. is considered also like a time that everybody is busy with mitzvah, preparing their Sukkot, buying the lulavs, doing their esrog. It's considered like a very holy day. Now, the day after Yom Kippur, it's almost like it's in it's called in God's name. It's B'shem Hashem. It's a also kind of a festive time. Uh, it's only a few days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Uh, uh, four, no, there's four days. Yeah, there's actually four days because the tenth and that's on the fifteenth. So you have for you have eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So those four days. Uh, no, and again, Erev Sukkot is already also by definition uh, somewhat of a of, of a holiday. Just being Erev Sukkot, so there's not much days and the involvement in the mitzvahs. And then you have all of Sukkot, and which ends towards the end, which ends, um, which takes up most of the month. There's only a few days left after Sukkot, so it's all encompassed, all flows through as the rest of the month, all as one big celebration, starting with the ninth of, uh, of, of 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 Tishrei, and going through that. Now, I want to talk today. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the kaparis. You know, one of the ancient traditions is to have the kaparis. Now, we use a live chicken for kaparis, and we use a white chicken. There is something in the uh, in the Shulchan Aruch mentioned about being particular on the color of the chicken. That would that would sort of imply that one is following the the non-Jewish customs to uh, use specifically white. But we do a white chicken. And the proper time to do kaparis is an Ervium Kippur on at, at dawn, in, right in the morning, first thing in the morning, an Ervium Kippur. That's the proper time. However, if one cannot do kaparis and Ervium Kippur, uh, it could be done a day or two before, since all of the Aserisim Echuvah are days of atonement, and therefore one could do kaparis a day or two before, that would be okay. Now, each person uses his or own his or her own chicken. They use their own chicken. Men use a, re- a rooster, and women use a hen. Now, a woman who is pregnant uses three chickens. Why? Two, she uses two hens and one rooster. One hen for herself, and then a hen and another rooster for the fetus. For it's not known whether the fetus is a male or a female. So you need for, uh, for, for both possibility. Now, if you're going to argue that, you're going to say, well, maybe she's going to have twins. <laughs> so if she's going to have twins... Uh, Today it would be known, but back then it Okay, that's known. a very good point. So, one need not suspect that it's twins. Well, if it was twins, 
I think then he would have to take basically not three. Then she should take four. Uh, then she should take five. five. Yeah. Yeah, because for each one we're not sure what it's going to be. Yeah. So therefore, they have to take five. Five chickens. And then uh, what happens if she has triplets? Uh, I mean, that's certainly not something that you're going to suspect. No. But you bring up a good point. What happens uh, with the um, with nowadays that we know that. Um, she, she's carrying twins. You can know that she's carrying twins. And you can even uh, find out what sex they are. Well, like you could find out, but a lot of people choose not to find so, out, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. don't necessarily find out. So you can say that we, that is unknown. I. That's a good point that you bring up. Let's say they could find out what the fetus is. For some reason, is that know. is that something which would uh, therefore change this halacha? So let's say she knows she's carrying a. A, a girl, uh, she's gonna, the baby's a girl, which she only need uh, two hands and not a rooster because she knows. Maybe yes, or maybe, you know, maybe the halacha remains as it is, still carry two, because you never know. I mean, we, I had it in my own situation, where the doctors said it was already a full, full term and, you know, uh, full to baby, and the Doctor says it was a girl, and it ended up being a boy. Oh, yeah, it ended up being a boy. So that was right. The doctor they took an ultrasound and everything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they are not. It's not uh, edge in stone. Okay. Uh, some, something. Some people say that it's the other way around, though. You know, if they say it's a male, then they're for yeah. female. They can make a mistake, and it could be a male. But a male, they would know better. But whatever the case is, I my own inclination. I'm not sure. I'm not ruling over here. My only inclination is that you, you still you? still do the way the Shulchan Aruch says ultrasound, ultrasound. That's yeah, fine. Okay. Just do the go by the rules and you know do two from a sofa. Now the question also becomes, what happens uh, like in nowadays when we know that there's the twins over there, right? Would you? I mean, you don't know what they are, okay? Also, Hello? you know, in a similar situation uh, would be. How early in the pregnancy do you need to uh, know? I mean, nowadays we have like these kits, you can find out very, very quickly whether a woman is pregnant or not. How soon of the pregnancy, at that point of the pregnancy, the baby is not a, not a male and not a female, you know, in the beginning of the pregnancy, oh, yeah. that was right. before it still develops at all. Is it 40 days? 40 days already, that's the time that you can start telling. 40 days after conception is when you can start telling uh, what it is. Um, we have rules about praying for uh, a child, that it should be a boy or a girl, that after 40 days already, it's already been developed, so that's going to be a, a prayer in vain because it's already been determined. But all these questions like we're, we're having... Would would you still bring two, or do you have to? The, we'll see later on in a minute that this tradition of using one for each uh, person is also something which is uh, the best way to do it, but one can technically fulfill the obligation by joining in with one. So one can say, in these cases, when you're not sure... Just follow what the Shulchan Aruch says and do the minimally. And then, in any other case beyond what the Shulchan Aruch says, beyond the twins, beyond the 
beyond beyond what these the, 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 the just not knowing the three as we have in Shulchan Aruch, or at what stage one need not suspect and go beyond it at the earlier stages uh, before it's actually you know uh, clear that she's pregnant by all signs not by using uh, different kinds of technology finding out she's pregnant. That is the status of calling her uh, a muberis. That's when she would be pregnant, and then we will require three. Perhaps before that, I say perhaps because I'm not going to rule on that clearly. You have to uh, check and see what the rabbis would say and something like that specifically. But to me, it seems that we can be lenient in those cases and just do as the Shulchan Aruch says, which use three. Uh, when she's known pregnant in the regular pregnancy without any tests, known that's pregnant, then only use three. And if there's a twin, even if you know, just use the same three. One for her and one for the possibility whether it's a boy or a girl. Now, somebody, you know, uh, can wonder, why would you need, what is the purpose of the bringing these uh, kaporas? Kaporas means it's a, an atonement. And as we'll see, the wording that we read we say that this should be an atonement and the kapara, the, it means it should be a, an atonement for us and while we're going to slaughter the um, the chicken and we're going to ritually slaughter it, it's going to uh, take the place of the human being and uh, the person perhaps deserves the punishment himself and we're doing it to the chicken instead of to the person and this is sort of an atonement for him, it's an, a substituting for the person. So one could ask, but we're talking about a fetus over here. A fetus hasn't done anything wrong. And why would we need uh, kapora? Why would we need an atonement for a fetus and, uh, to begin with, male, female, or, or otherwise? It's only really the mother who's an adult, who's a responsible person, who needs a kapora. Why would we need kaporas for the fetuses? Some of the commentators explain that actually the atonement is not for the for the baby, for the fetus itself, is for the mother carrying the fetuses. So it is, it is the mother of the baby, uh, babies. Uh, the fact that she's carrying something else in her, uh, in her womb requires her to have more kapora. She has a kapora. She needs more atonement. Not only for herself, she needs also atonement for herself because she's carrying either a boy or a girl. So she shouldn't pass it through to them, or is it not? It's, in, in other words, it's, it's, it's an atonement for her, not for the fetus. Okay. Fetus doesn't need an atonement. Right. Exactly how this works out, we have to look up and see exactly how this works up. But it's basically, it's understood that it's not for, for the fetus, it's for the person. Now, one would argue then, you know, I mean, uh, the... Um, even children, you know, even family people, we do a kapara for everybody. Uh, every, mem- every member of the family, even if they're um, very young, and even though they may not be responsible for their own deeds, but still, uh, even children sometimes uh, get uh, punished because of the parents' sin. You know, small children under bar and bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah are considered like the possession of their parents, and sometimes, God forbid, something bad can happen to a child on the account of the parent. So they need a kapara too, so nothing bad should happen to them. So the, the problem is really with a fetus, because before it's born, it doesn't really seem that there's anything really there. There's no entity over there, really. 
Uber Yerech Imoy, a fetus by the standard of Allah is considered like a limb of its mother. It's like a foot of the mother. It's like a, it's part of the mother. It's not independent. So how do we give it independence? And that's why we're explaining that it's sort of a mother's uh, additional atonement needed. Uh, the question would be, what happens if a baby is born? <laughs> you know, this is all these situations. What happens if he's born? After Kaporis, you know, so they did Kaporis, and then he was part of the mother, and now he's an independent, uh, c- c- created being, right? Do you need a separate Kapora at that point? But those are all uh, cases, the, the discussions that are just make for interesting uh, discussions. But uh, back to the uh, practical uh, things that um, there is other people, yeah? The kids are the because because according to the other views you don't need one for each other but the Alter Rebbe rules that we need one they say because you can fulfill uh, two with one hand basically you fulfill two two people so you can also have we're going to talk about it in a minute so the, so the mother and the daughter and the baby if it's a girl wouldn't need a separate one hand would do it and then just one rooster in addition just because maybe it's a if it's a male but that's what it should but the Al-Tarebbe says we should use three because of each one should have their own one and we'll see in a minute uh, some people have a tradition they don't go, they don't have chickens, they use money. And they, they do use, money. use the money. They use, they use money instead of a, yeah. of a chicken. But yeah, the Alter Rebbe does not bring the option of using money for kaporis in place of live chicken. He doesn't, use, he doesn't bring that. But some other poiskim bring this down. And so therefore, because of that, what happens in a situation where... Uh, you cannot have each one have their own chicken. You don't, because there is not available, there's like no shaykhat here. Like over here. So what do we do? So it, it seems like it's better for several people to join together to do kaporis with one chicken, which is an option that the Al-Tarebbe does bring down, that some people do together, like you bring down from the Kitzer Shulchan Aruch, that they do together. That is preferable than using... Uh, money instead, because money everybody can use their own, because this way you're actually using the chicken, even though it's done in, co- in, in combined, in conjunction together, yeah? But anyway, we don't check this chicken. Yes, we do. Absolutely, we do check the chicken. We don't check it over here. What we do here is we get the people together, we have a couple of chickens, and we do it as a community together, because we don't have the uh, easy option, I guess, of getting up in the morning and traveling uh, far distance. People just don't do it, so therefore we do it together. It's also different than using a kapara that's been used already, but in this case we're not using it, we'll use, we're just doing it in, together as, as a group. What? Ken? Yeah, no, not at the I'll tell you. So, what, what we do is, let me just say, what, first let's go through the order of Kaporis, then we'll talk about the Shechita. So, what, in the Siddur, there's a special prayer that we say from different verses uh, of Psalms. So, you say the first section over there in the Siddur. Um, do we have a Siddur over here? On page 363, you have over here, you have the first paragraph begins with the words Bnei Adam. And you, uh, up till the word Matsosi uh, Khoifer. Uh, and um, 
there is uh, at that point uh, you go ahead you say either zechalifosi which is in the right and calm for a rooster because it's masculine ze or zois which is for the hen which is a female so then it's zois and you uh, swing the uh, chicken around your head three times when you say zechalifosi zetmurosi and zekaparosi and you end the sentence you do this once you do the same thing twice again you say bnei odom until you come to Zechalifosi and you say the next paragraph, you swing it three times and then you do the third time. So you do this three times. So you end up saying these pieces three times plus each time you swing it three times. So you have a total of nine times um, uh, circling around uh, your, your, your head for the kapara. Now, after the kaporas are done, the shaykhet would slaughter it. Now, if you're doing the kaporas in the uh, correct uh, way, you're right doing it in the morning, most of the time there'll be a shaykhet right there, and he'll shecht it for you. Or even if you do it at nighttime, sometimes there's a shaykhet there who shechts it right then and there. But the way we do it over here, because we don't have a shaykhet over here right now, we'll do it at nighttime before the Yom Kippur, and then we will send the chickens for to be shechted the next morning. Uh, by the shaykhet, you know that's that, that's what we do, because we don't have the ability to uh, to to shecht. We don't have a shaykhet, We don't have somebody shechted right away for us. Then you can eat the chicken. Okay, well you have to shecht it. Yeah. Okay, so first you have to shecht it. You have to yeah. ritually you have to make sure you need an expert shaykhet, one who knows what he's doing, shecht it in the uh, kosher way. Now you'll see uh, there is also a special mitzvah uh, in the Torah that you take a sand and you cover the blood after you shecht it only applies to a chicken uh, and wild animals of the wild like deer or things like that it doesn't apply to tena like a cow or a, a goat or a sheep you don't have to cover their blood only a chaya only a, a, a non-domesticated animal and uh, and a bird huh? a bird yeah and a bird they required this special mitzvah that's called Kisui uh, Dam Be'ofer. What we do is that we cover uh, the blood uh, with, with, with sand and we make a bracha. We say, Now, the uh, mitzvah belongs really to the shaykhet. So the shaykhet, it's his obligation when he shechts the, the chicken, he gets to Make uh, he gets to make the bracha on 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 kisu adam for covering the blood, but he can give over the uh, rights and the privilege to the other person, uh, so that the other person can make the bracha. So the way it's done is that uh, the shaykhat usually agrees and allows for the person to have another mitzvah. So in addition to shechting the kaparas, you're doing a mitzvah covering the blood with the sand. So what you have is you have sand uh, on the floor uh, which absorbs, you know, pieces which absorbs the blood and there's still on the top of the blood and then you take some more sand with your hand or or with the feather of the, uh, the chicken and then you cover up the blood and then you make the bracha. But you want to wait with the bracha 
until the shoichet, when he shechts it, until he inspects and makes sure that the simonim, that the uh, two, the kana and the vesha, those are the two signs, the trachea and the wind uh, and the esophagus, you want to make sure that they were cut properly so that it's a kosher. And if it's a kosher shechita, that's when you need to cover it. Because if it turns out that he didn't cut it properly or something went wrong, then you won't make a bracha. So you wait till you make sure that it's okay, and then is what you make the bracha. Um, then, even if you've never done this mitzvah before, like you've never covered the uh, the blood with with the sand, uh, but uh, you don't make a shechiyanu on this on this on this mitzvah. You don't make a shechiyanu, even though for a mitzvah that you do the first time, one does make. Uh, 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 now it was the Rebbe's custom to pay the shochet for his work. That's what the people relate. The Rebbe would pay the shochet immediately after doing the shechita. Uh, now, what happens is, uh, it turns out sometimes that when you shecht a chicken, you know the chickens we get today are all looked over. They're all kosher. They're salted, and and everything is fine and good. We know they're they're all good. They have a a supervision, they have a uh, a tag, and we know that the rabbi checked it over, everything's okay. But when you go and you check the chicken, you have to check it, you have to check the inside, the, 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 making sure that all the inside, that is not a trefa. So, it depends. If the chicken turns out that something was wrong in the shechita, so it never was shechted properly, then you would have to do kaparis again. Kaparis is only good if it's shechted properly. You have to finish the process. But if it was shechted properly, but then when you check the insides, uh, then it turns out that it's not kosher, that it's treif, you don't have to do kaparot again. As long as the shechita was kosher. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's another point that he brings down. One of the ideas of the kaparis is to give the chickens to the poor people. Right, that's what I thought. And that is now. Shukhnarach also talks about, he says, some poor people may be embarrassed that you're giving them your kaparas for them to eat. So you can... Uh, so what you do is, okay, what you can do, you can do the kaparas on, on, on the chicken, and then you substitute the money that you're, you're having the chicken, which you should have gone away, you go and give tzedakah the equivalent of the kaparas that you do. Now today, the way they do it in a lot of places is they have some sort of a yeshiva or some sort of a charitable organization who buys all these chickens. And before you even start, they charge you like extra when you buy the chicken from them. You know, it's beyond the price of the chicken. So you're giving already the charity for the chicken that you're going to use. So not only are you paying for a chicken, you're paying for the double, like, for the chicken. So you're paying, first of all, the price of a chicken, and then you want to take that and give it away for its duck, so you're paying another time. So they make sure to charge you before they even give you the live chicken. So, so you end up giving it for its duck as soon as you... Uh, as soon as you I was do the, the pretext that always went to charity the chickens. Well, in a lot of places they would donate it like to yeshiva, to an yeah. institution that can eat it. But it's hard to find poor people to right now over here to go ahead and give them the chickens. Yeah, maybe okay, maybe maybe they do. Maybe some places they do. Uh, but I, I guess that the um, 
the trouble of even getting a shechted chicken, then you have to soak it and salt it and kosher it, make it properly. That's a big pain. Uh, you know, it's, uh, even the poor people would rather get a chicken, get a chicken ready made, uh, you know, with a, with a good hechsher. And use it, they don't want to go through the trouble. And some of them don't even know. And unfortunately, because it's so rarely done, koshering the chickens, people don't even know how to kosher a chicken. Anymore. Because they've never seen how chickens are kosher. Yeah, you know, people don't know. And they don't know that there's a whole process of, of koshering and, you know... Most the, of the, the chicken are kosher, most of them. Yeah. yeah, well, today also they have, they know, they, they, they the have a better... Kid, usually, if you have a summer, so my grandma should go to the slaughterhouse. Well, Shirley Avenue used to go down, pick out a chicken. And the guy used to take the chicken and put it, I remember, put it under his hand and twist the neck and cut it, tip it over, Put it on the floor. Well. Used to run around and they used to put it in cold water and come home with fifty thousand feathers on a chicken. They used yeah. to cut it and soak it no. and salt it. Yeah, then they flick it. There's a whole. I mean, oh, I can tell you uh, oh, a lot of story. When we were growing up, and we'd get up in the morning and wait in line for the uh, kapores. It was different. Now they have it. Now they bring it. But, but there was also a lot of problems with some of the the PETA organization, with the animal rights organization. Oh, there, yeah, yeah. they got a wind of this, and they're sort of uh, making uh, making a lot of uh, noise about cruel treatment, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, those are. Um, all things that uh, the tradition, you know, what we have, uh, very important tradition. Now, and is this a for tradition, or is it, is it, is it actual? It's, uh, it's not, it's, well, it's a halachic tradition. It's a tradition, it's ancient tradition, which has been incorporated and become part of the tradition. Well, like I said, some people will use money instead, and some people will say that that is the, the uh, but those who stick to the, Letter of the law to the old-fashioned way. Don't yeah. do things, you know. They're everybody's trying to make a little modernize it, make it easier, make it more clean, more comfortable. People don't like to see blood and things like that. But it's interesting to note that it is customary that the innards of the chickens uh, is you place them in areas which other animals can can eat in order to show compassion. Uh, to other to other animals, you know, you don't want to just throw it away in the trash or somewhere, but you want to make sure that others can benefit because we're trying to uh, uh, arouse also. We want Hashem to have compassion to us. Uh, so it's, it shows to you that this whole thing is a ritual and a holy matter, but it doesn't take away from the uh, desire to make sure that we treat them compassionately and we treat all animals with, 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 with compassion. Um, Rabbi, I, I'm, how, how old is this... Uh, tradition? This yeah, did, I mean, I didn't think they had chickens back in um, temple times and that thing. it was more of an Eastern Europe thing. Is that, is that wrong? Um, I'm not saying it's wrong. I know it goes back, back to the Shulchan Aruch. And uh, so it goes back, you know, many hundreds of years. Exactly... We can look it up, we can Google that and try to find out exactly where the tradition comes from. But it's been... Uh, we discussed more about it yesterday, about um, uh, some people will use money instead. But those who do use the chickens, which is the way it's brought down in the Code of Jewish Law, uh, so one should give money 
the value of the kaporis to the poor on Erev Yom Kippur. Now, originally, the tradition was that, you know, you shechted the, the meat, the chicken, you shechted the chicken because you wanted to supply the poor people with the food for Yontav, for Yom Kippur, before Yom Kippur, for Yontav. So you would give them the kaporis that you used. It became a little bit degrading and offensive to some of the poor people. Oh, you're eating somebody else's kapara, you know, like somebody else's atonement uh, you're eating. So it was later on uh, uh, made in a way that you eat your own kapara, you eat your own chicken, what you shechted. And what you do is you uh, exchange the value of whatever the kapara is worth, you exchange it and you give that money, you give to the poor people. So now they buy, and then they go and they buy their own chicken. You know? And uh, and they don't have to eat your, your chicken. Okay, now another thing is, we know that an Ervium Kippur, it's a mitzvah to eat. And it's a very, very strict mitzvah because we we actually learn it out. It's, it's, it's a rabbinic, it's a rabbinic uh, uh, mitzvah, but it's based, they hinted it on a verse, they find it, leaned it on a verse, and they said that one who eats an Erev Yom Kippur, God counts it not like a mitzvah of eating, but it's like a mitzvah of fasting, which means it's a, it's, you get more reward for doing a mitzvah which is uh, difficult than doing a mitzvah which is easier. So even though God is telling you to eat, but He's giving you reward as if He told you to fast, and you get a mitzvah for fasting both days on Erev Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur, because on Yom Kippur itself we cannot honor it by making a meal, because we're fasting. So the day before Yom Kippur is considered the day in which we uh, do uh, what we can to honor Yom Kippur also with the meal, and that's why it's a mitzvah to eat, and we're therefore not permitted to fast in Erev Yom Kippur. In the morning prayer of Erev Yom Kippur, uh, we do not say Mizmor uh, Lesoda. Mizmor Lesoda is the song that we do immediately after Baruch Sha'amar, it's a chapter which talks about the Toda, thank you to Hashem. In the time of the Temple, there were four situations which one had to bring that sacrifice when you're giving a thank you to Hashem. If a sick one is healed, one who gets let out of prison, one who uh, goes in the uh, traveling in the desert, and uh, one who goes down to the sea. So th- these are considered situations in which one's life may be in danger, and then when you come out of it, you make a uh, you bring a sacrifice, and then there's questions, you know, by extension, other things. But there's a, uh, a time that you can eat these korbanas, but because it's Yom Kippur, the fast day, it turns out that you will not be able to eat the korbanas fully. You, the toda korban, you won't be able to eat it in the proper time. You'll be shortening the time. And therefore, korbanas toda were not brought on Erev Yom Kippur because of the being pressured for time. So we also don't say that Mizmar Lesoda on Erev Yom Kippur. The other day we don't do it is also on Erev Pesach. We also we don't do Mizmar Lesoda. On Erev Yom Kippur and Erev Pesach is when we don't do Mizmar Lesoda. Of course, on Shabbos we didn't bring it, on Yontav we don't do it either because there's no Toda brought. It's a personal korban, it's not a communal sacrifice, it's not permitted to be done on Shabbos and Yontav. But of the weekdays, uh, we don't do that, we don't say Mizmar Lesoda during, the, um, during these two times on Erev Pesach and on Erev, on Erev Yom Kippur. Uh, also, we do not say uh, the long of Inu Malkeinu. During the Seresh Shemei Tshuva, you see, we do always this long, we open up the ark. And we say the long of Inu Malkeinu. Uh, 
we don't do so uh, on Erev Yom Kippur. Avinu Malkeinu is considered almost like Tachanun, like uh, um, we do not say Tachanun, uh, uh, we do not say the uh, special additions, the confession and Tachanun uh, and uh, beseeching Hashem, uh, which is not said during holidays. The Eve of Yom Kippur sort of becomes a semi-holiday, it's like a holiday, even though there is no real holiday, the only mitzvah is to eat there, as Rebbe says in Shulchan Aruch, but it's already become sort of a holiday, at least beginning with uh, the morning, with beginning with, uh, with the morning uh, services. Um, but we saw it yesterday that even from midnight, in the Shulchan Aruch there's various different views does it start? It certainly doesn't start by Mincha from the day before. So on the eighth day, Mincha we do. Whether it starts at nighttime, uh, once the stars come out of the ninth of, or it starts in the morning, it seems like the Chabad tradition is at midnight is when it starts. So we would say, Krishna uh, Shalamita, the night, uh, if you go to sleep before midnight, you would say Tachanon. If you go to sleep after midnight, then you won't say because it changes, looks like by midnight where it changes. But in any event, the Ovinu Malkeinu is not said, even in, in, in the um, uh, case like this year, Yom Kippur is on Shabbat. So when Yom Kippur is on Shabbat, we also don't do Ovinu Malkeinu. We only do Ovinu Malkeinu when Yom Kippur is not Shabbat. Some say that when Yom Kippur is on Shabbat, since we won't say Ovinu Malkeinu on Shabbat, then we should say it on the day before it's brought down on the Shulchan Aruch. But our custom is not to say Avinu Malkeinu at all. We don't say Avinu Malkeinu. There was one time there was an exception. It looked like in the Rebbe's shul they did say Avinu Malkeinu on Erev uh, Rosh Hashanah because there was like a special situation in the world uh, at that time. That was during, um, I believe, like after the Yom Kippur War or something. I'm not sure exactly what it was. So there was like a special time that they did believe, say, one time, Avinu uh, Malkein Erev Yom Kippur, but uh, the tradition is not to say Avinu Malkein. Avinu the long Avinu Malkein we're talking about. Uh, that's the, the that has a lot of requests and and and, and beseeching. I forget it's a four fifty four. What is it on the page in the Siddur? Yeah. Okay. The other thing is that you know people sometimes prolong their morning services, but in Erev Yom Kippur there's a lot to uh, take care of, and one uh, should not does not prolong the uh, morning prayers. You just you know uh, go get at it and get it uh, get it done. Um, there's also a tradition of asking for lekach. You know what lekach is? Lekach is honey cake. Uh, you ask lekach and you eat some of it on Erev Yom Kippur. I mean, we have it, Baruch Hashem, throughout the year lekach, but <laughs> but uh, the. Uh, Lekach, of course, is honey. Honey, honey cake. It represents something very sweet. And um, the Rebbe, uh, while wearing his silk Shabbos garment and his gartel, uh, he would distribute lekach to all, and he would wish everybody a shana toiva a good and sweet year. So um, we do the same. Some of the reasons for this tradition is because, uh, you know we're sort of praying to Hashem that if we have to ask if it's been destined for us, decreed for us to have to ask 
others, let it be fulfilled by asking them for this piece of honey cake, and then we shouldn't have to come on to other people to ask them for our needs. So we ask them and say, okay, can I have a piece of cake? And then you are Yotze, you fulfill that destiny, and then throughout the year, God will give you directly, straight, and you won't have to come out to other people to beg them or ask them for, uh, for giving to you. Uh, in the Shulchan Aruch, it does mention about visiting the gravesite of Tzadikim on this day, on the day of Erev Yom Kippur. However, in most years, the Rebbe would not go to the Ohel, which is the resting place of his father-in-law on Erev Yom Kippur. It's not such a prevalent custom, more on Erev Rosh Hashanah, on Erev Rosh Hashanah, rather than on Erev Yom Kippur. Now, on Erev Yom Kippur, one should increase in giving charity, uh, in particular before Mincha, and in many shuls, they set up like different plates, and uh, where there is a lot of people, and various different charities will set up, and people will go around and give out uh, money into the uh, plates. Uh, there is an expression of the Baal Shem Tov, that he said that the sounds of the coins banging on each other, that disperses the klipos. The klipos meaning the outer, the opponents of holiness, the forces of evil, and that banging sort of disperses them. Uh, on Erevim Kippur, we eat as much as we eat on two days. You have to eat double the amount. That's what the Alter Rebbe brings down. In the Shulchan Aruch, later on by the Sudam of Sekhis, to eat twice as much, yeah? It's better to give coins than paper. Oh, yeah. Yes, there is something about coins. There is something about coins, too. Uh, there is something about coins, yes, there is something. But uh, I guess in Tzedakah, the most, thing is, the most important thing is the amount. So <laughs> if, if you can write a big check, you know, it's, it's, that's... Uh, uh, that's you know, I, I told you the story about this fellow who... Uh, his father passed away, and um, and the rabbi asks him to donate an ark for the. So he says, "What does it cost?" He says, uh, "He says ten thousand dollars for the ark." He says, "No problem." He writes a check, and then in the meantime, up in heaven, his father was in purgatory over there to make up for some of the things. But his son gave such a beautiful check. The angels are taking him and bringing him straight into heaven. And all the people there are looking envious of him. And, you know, he just was there for a little bit, and now he's in heaven. Two, three days later, he's coming back. He says, what happened? Well, the check bounced. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, so on Ervium Kippur, okay, so we eat, so one amount basically is for Ervium Kippur, and one amount is for Ervium Kippur, so we have to eat double. One who eats and drinks on Ervium Kippur, Hashem counts, as is mentioned earlier, as if he fasted on both days. It's also, some people use double breads, like on Shabbos, not our custom to use, like a Lecha Mishnah, you know, like we do on Shabbos, and we don't do that on every Yom Kippur. Uh, there's also a custom, a, a Jewish custom, a, a tradition, to eat kreplach, or krepchen, whatever. You know what kreplach is? It's dough that's filled with meat. Now, we'll see later on, some people don't eat meat on, on Ervim Kippur. It's, shouldn't they really eat meat? You should only eat easy digestible food. So the question is, they fill the crap with something with chicken, so not to be meat. And some people say that, so one idea is that uh, a little bit of meat is okay. We're talking about a lot. But in any event, 
Uh, on every kippur, we also dip the hamotzi in honey, and salt is still brought to the table. You bring salt to the table, but the dipping is done in the honey. Uh, and as mentioned, on every kippur, we only eat food that is easily digested, such as chicken and fish. Uh, and some fill the, uh, as mentioned before, that they use chicken for the kreplach, whatever was mentioned. Earlier. Okay. Uh, in a talk, uh, the Rebbe mentioned that after Mayrif, that after uh, the service of Mayrif, um, one should review uh, the Haftorah of Yom Kippur. You know, we have the story of Yonah and also the first day. It's a very then. So we do that after uh, midday. Like on Shabbos, we know that we want us to review in the afternoon the Shnai Mikra Vecha Targum. You do the uh, Torah portion and the Targum. And then you also read the Haftorah. But there is, on Yom Kippur, there is no such a thing as Shnai Mikra, but at least the Haftorah should be read. It seems like it's connected to that general theme idea of reading the Haftorah on Friday afternoon, what you're going to be uh, reading on Shabbos. So in this case, uh, especially the one who does the Haftorah after Yonah, I'm sure he looks it over and then he reads it for us uh, uh, on Yom Kippur. Talking about Dr. Shaffel over there. In, okay, now, it's interesting that the Rebbe ended his Shiva for his mother, uh, who passed away on the sixth day of Tishrei. So by the time he came to Yom Kippur, it was only three days, okay? They had the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. It was really four days. It wasn't the full Shiva. But the Rebbe ended his Shiva on Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur takes away the laws of Shiva. It overrides it. When Yom Kippur comes in, it overrides the laws of Shiva. And uh, the Rebbe used the Mekvah. Should you go in the Mekvah, we'll, we'll talk about on 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 Erev Yom Kippur, some have the custom to do it three times, to go to the mikvah on Erev Yom Kippur, they'll uh, uh, do it once before the morning prayer, uh, or it seems like after Kaparis, if they do Kaparis in the morning, either before Kaparis or after Kaparis, but probably before, after Kaparis, before the uh, morning service, uh, then you do once before Mecha, and then you do once before Kol Nidre. so some people do it three times, but in any case, this was uh, only afternoon because it was still the shiva. It was still until until as close to uh, to Yom Kippur uh, when it, uh, the Rebbe used the mikvah. Uh, and then there was uh, there's customs that how you finish shiva, uh, like you bang a nail into the floor, you go around the house, you you say to the person to get up. The Rebbe did not follow those. Uh, Procedures as he was getting up from Shiva, and neither did he make anything to do of it. What later on uh, to do it after after Yom Kippur? So I don't know what it means. It means maybe it's not absolutely necessarily. Maybe because if Yom Kippur overrides it, it takes away even from that procedure too. I'm not sure exactly what he's trying to uh, say here, but that was the uh, tradition from the Rebbe. We're coming up to Mincha to the afternoon. Uh, before we immerse in the mikvah, we'll see that on Ervium Kippur, we immerse ourselves in the mikvah. Uh, there are various reasons given for that. Uh, one of the reasons is that when we uh, repent and we do teshuva on 
Yom Kippur, Erev Yom Kippur, we are almost like born anew. Um, we um, uh, get a new, uh, like a new beginning, a new, a new start. So we're like a child that is born or like a convert that has converted. So it doesn't matter what the convert has done beforehand. Uh, he starts a new life now. Uh, it's a new person. Before he was not Jewish, and now he's Jewish. So right now we're all talking about a new person. In a way, when a person does teshuva, he becomes like a convert because he is now uh, becoming a new life. He's changing over and he's starting anew. Just like a convert requires immersion in a mikvah, uh, likewise, this is one of the reasons a person on Erev Yom Kippur who does teshuva, he's like a new being, so in order to complete your new being, you have to sort of immerse yourself in the mikveh, clean yourself, and then you start anew. So that's one of the reasons that we go in the mikveh, but before we do the mikveh, it is custom, it's customary to receive the 39 malchus, lashes with a strap made of calf skin. Now, in the days when the Jewish courts operated, uh, at that time, the, one of the penalties for violating intentionally one of the prohibitions would be uh, 39 lashes. We want to sort of make a... Com- commemorate that or uh, to act it out as if we are getting the malchus. Uh, we do the 39 malchus. Okay, this was that used to be appointed by the court. There was a court system, and there's a lot of details in that we're not going to go in. We were doing a mock, okay. a, 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 a a semi, uh, just a remembrance uh, of uh, a recreation of the Malchus. And the way it's done is you do get the number 39, which is the number. The Torah says, you know, uh, you give 40 minus 1, which is the uh, 39 lashes. Uh, of course, uh, uh, we don't do it with force, and we don't do it with uh, all the ways it was done. The way the way it's done is uh, the one who is receiving the lashes is bent over, um, and you face north. Uh, north is considered the source of a lot of the troubles because it says gold comes from the north, and many of a person's ailments, spiritual. Uh, shortcomings are associated with money, is associated with going after money, and that causes the person many times various different uh, outcomes which cause him to violate different laws, and therefore he should be facing, when he's getting the lashes, he should be facing north. Now, it's done uh, while one is bent over and facing north. Now, how exactly you're bent over, sometimes you just bend your back, uh, haven't seen it done under the shirt to pick up the shirt you just do it above whatever you're wearing or uh, you know, not, not done underneath but uh, the way I've seen it done people actually go down on their knees on the floor and then they do it over there but I'm not sure exactly if that is a necessity that you have to go down on your knees and on the floor like you do for Korim and then you get the lashes or it's enough just to be bent over uh, and 
Is the relationship of 39 also to Malachos that you're not supposed to do on Shabbos? That's also number 39. Perhaps in some mystical way it's connected, but not necessarily in, as in an open way. Now, the one receiving, both the one receiving the Malchus and the one uh, giving the Malchus, they recite the verse of Vuhurachum, uh, uh, which uh, you say, the mercy will one should forgive for the sins. The same verse we say in the beginning of Mariv prayer. Uh, you say it three times. Uh, together, it, one, each lash goes for one word. Vuhu, one, Rachum, two, Yechaper, three. And if you do it three times, there is 39 there is exactly 39 uh, uh, words. There, there's 13 words in that passage. So three times 13 would make it uh, 39. And the way you do it is you start with the right shoulder. So you do vuhu on the right shoulder. And then you go to the left shoulder, rachum. And then you go in the middle of the back, yichaper. Then you go back, right, left, middle, right, left, middle. You circle around like that. And you do it three times while you're doing the vuhu, rachum. That will come out to the um, the uh, twenty. That will come out to the thirty-nine lashes. A leather whip is used. It says that best to use the strap of a uh, of a calf uh, leather. Um, you know, we'll use a belt. What you have, basically, you that will use. Absolutely, but I make sure not to. Uh, give some of the people that want to get back at me. So <laughs> I'm afraid that they might, uh, and I got to be careful who I choose because I got a lot of people that would like to, you know, uh, so put a little uh, force into that it's uh, belt. Also, it's you know. done gently, right? Yeah, it's done gently. It's just symbolic. It's yeah. not, not, not really. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Okay, now I think mo- most people rather give the honey cake. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Okay. So uh, now, after the Malchus, uh, as we mentioned before, then we go to immerse in the mikvah. The order is because once you've gotten the lashes, you've done tshuva. I mean, the lashes help you do tshuva. Now you're like a ger. Now you're going into the mikvah, and because of this, it's like a conversion. You dip yourself three times in the mikvah, and. Like any time when you use the mikvah, the idea of a mikvah, that your entire body should be covered by the water, and no, no chatzitza, no um, interruption, nothing on your body should be there when you are, or in any part of your body should be there, because you have to be fully immersed by the water. There is a lot of meaning to it. I mean, this is... It's not a physical cleaning. Uh, of course, you get cleaner from a shower or something else. This is a spiritual. It, the immersion represents humility, uh, putting yourself inside the water, being covered by uh, the Rambam calls it the water of knowledge. But it's basically a subjugation and a purification of your soul and your inside. Uh, after we uh, do the teshuva, we should be immersing in the mikvah. And. Um, this actually, even though some don't do it, but uh, this would apply to women as well, uh, this immersion. And women should also, whether married or unmarried, they should really also use the mikvah. It's not as uh, 
commonplace as it is for men to use the mikvah on before Yom Kippur. But that's by tradition, it applies to women as well as, as men. Now, there's also, then we go to Mincha. So basically, the order, the way we have it here is you have Malkus, then the mikvah, and then you have Mincha. At the end, yeah, and then we'll get to eating. Okay, at the end, but first let's cover mincha. At the end of the mincha amida, what is the shemoneshut? And after we do the yilrotzin, we say vidu and alchet. Those are the confessions of shamnu bagadnu and then alchet. That is the main, the chunk that we say during all the prayers, asking Hashem forgiveness for our sin, asking Hashem for. Uh, atonement that we do on Yom Kippur, but we start with Mincha. There's various reasons brought down why we do it earlier. Um, you know, one of the things that we worried about that, you know, after the meal that just going to follow Mincha, you might maybe have too much to drink or something, and you might not do it. So we want to make sure at least that you do it beforehand. But there's uh, a lengthy explanation in the Shulchan Aruch why we do that uh, by Mincha. But by Mincha, nevertheless, we do that. Um, and all the time when we do vidui and alchet, we stand, and we actually, we bend forward. This is in a way of a subdued, and um, we also, as we'll see, you tap or bang your chest at the time that you say uh, the words of Ashamnu, and the time that you say alchet, alchatoim, you, um, uh, you do that, and there are Several verses, uh, they had two dots showing that the end of paragraphs. So you, you sort of make a short pause after each of the uh, sections over there, and then you continue. Ashamnu um, Bagadnu, it goes by the olive base if you pay attention. Ashamnu Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Avinu, The same thing is, and then when you do Banachnu, Hirshanu, and then you say, and then. There's also when you say slach lonu, mechalonu, kapelonu. Vialkulo, melos, licho, slach lonu, mechalonu, kapelonu. So you bang also on the chest and done. Uh, when you say that, and also when you say alchet and alchatoim. Not sure about the alchatoim. I've seen in some places that we don't, uh, that we didn't bang the chest, but uh, in the, um, seems like in the, um, here it, uh, in the uh, source where I'm looking in these, uh, the magazine, uh, they publish the customs. It seems like uh, on all the, also on the Al-Khatoyim, I got to look into this further, whether only by al because the way we used to do it, only when it says al in a singular, but then the end over there, when you say al we would not normally uh, bang your chest, but over here it says just across the board, so I'm not exactly sure. Uh, of course, we... We also don't say mincha. We don't say avinu uh, malkenu when we uh, do the mincha uh, because it's you know it's erev Shabbos, it's still erev Yom Kippur. We still don't say tachanon. We'll do it on nighttime, but we know all we we said that on erev Yom Kippur it's like a samayontev and whatever. We don't say then, so we won't say avinu malkenu for mincha. Now we're not going to say it on Shabbos either. Because on Shabbos we don't say Avinu Malkeinu because Yom Kippur is Shabbos this year. So when it comes out on Shabbos, Yom Kippur, we don't say Avinu Malkeinu. Even at the very end, you don't do it. At You're absolutely, end, you at the very end, you do do it. You're right, you, you see? Great, excellent. Good memory. Absolutely. At the end, we do do Avinu Malkeinu because 
at the end already, it's already at night time, it's already after really? Yom Tov already. Is you it? do. It's you do. Yeah, it's Marv. After Ne'ilah, he's right. After Ne'ilah, even in Shabbos, that means we will say it at the end. But we didn't study that, but that's a very good no, observation. No, I that, but the thing is, I what? always question, I always question why. It's really not totally dark yet. Yeah, but for it's, these purposes, and you can see, enough. actually you blow the shofar then, even though it's still, it's Bein it's still not, certainly not, you can still blow the shofar. It's already enough after sunset. It's oh, enough okay. to, in order to do, it's, it's enough. The, okay, so the third star hasn't arrived. Yeah, it's not fully, you know, you can't break your fast, God forbid, until full no, the no, time. No, right. But the, for saying of Inu Malkeinu, for blowing the shofar, it's enough for any oh, to okay. do that. Yeah? Now, what happens during Kol Nidre? You don't do the, this again. Yes, we do. Oh, you do it again? Um, the and actually, um, Kol Nidre is not a prayer. Kol Nidre precedes Mairev. In Mairev, we'll do the regular al Oh, but uh, we're going to mention in a, min- in a minute, there's also a tradition before Kol Nidre to do al Khait again. One second, we'll talk about it in one minute. All right. when, when, when you do al Khait, do you just do bang on al or Shukhatan? No, al when you do the al On the words al Khait, not the Shukhatan. al Now, the order of Bechlal, this is a general, not specific for Yom Kippur, but any meal, important halacha to know, um, you must eat bread in the amount, at least of a size of an olive, in order to do the Birkat Hamazon, to make the grace after meal. Which means the bracha, the blessing that we make before we eat, doesn't any amount would, would require you to make a bracha. So you're going to make a mozi even if you have a drop of bread. But to make the bracha after meal, you need to have minimally, you have to have the size of an olive. And in order for you to make the blessing for washing that precedes the hamotzi, you have to eat minimally the size of a kebe, the size of an egg, which is double the size of an olive, uh, a bread, that amount to the wash. Because it's, it's, it's related to dinim of tumah, which have the size of a kebe, it's, it's different shurim. Uh, but, but basically what I'm saying is that in order for you to wash your hands and say, you'd have to have in mind to go ahead and eat the size of an egg during the meal. In order for you to make the grace after meal, even if you didn't wash, you at least need to eat the size of a kezai, the size of an olive. So therefore, we're going to go now after mincha, and we're going to go to eat what we call the suda hamafsekis. The suda which interrupts in between the day of eating and the day of fast. That's called the suda mafsekis. So you're going to wash and you're going to eat. So these are the minimal requirements in order to wash and to make a bracha that you would need. Um, you need to eat at least of bread, at least the amount of a kezais and the amount of a, um, uh, a kebeya for washing. And um, we already mentioned earlier that you would dip the motzi on Erevim Kippur into, uh, into honey. Um, Erevim Kippur. And you said only one Presumably... That one should eat, we learned that one should eat as much as two days on Yom Kippur. So one should have two meals. One of them is the regular meal, which you should have beforehand, and a wash meal. And that should be uh, during the daytime, maybe uh, the morning, the late morning, or early afternoon. And then you go to Melcha, and then you, after you're eating, then you do the uh, Malchus, then you do the... Uh, 
we do uh, the mikvah, and then we do the uh, mincha, and before mincha we also had where you give charity, give a lot of charity, and then you go to the sudam afsekes, you go to the, uh, the to that meal. So sometimes people are already full from the first meal; they have to eat a lot. So we're cautioning that you have to eat minimally that what you have to eat at the second meal, anyways, that that much. Um, but didn't you say? That it's just one challah because it's not Shabbos that we take the Yeah, challah. we're talking about quantity. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, how much of the challah? I mean, the, we don't need two challahs on, on the, as we mentioned, we don't need two loaves because it's not Shabbos, not right. Yom Now, um, one should stop eating a little bit, while well, still daytime, a little bit before Yom Kippur. Uh, the best thing is to stop like when it's candle lighting time. Usually the way they set up candle lighting time in our places is 18 minutes before Shkia, 18 minutes before sunset, before Adam. So about 18 minutes before the fast, stop eating. I mean, one needs to add a little bit from the day, as we uh, learn in the Shulchan Aruch, one needs to fast a little bit on the 9th also, which is the addition before the 10th, a little bit of the 9th. So there is no real... Amount any amount would be sufficient, but as long as it's still in the ninth day. But it's a good practice would be to do that starting with uh, the shkia, uh, and uh, that is the time that you would light the candles before Yom Kippur. You stop eating then. Uh, now sometimes you finish eating earlier in the day, so it's sort of. Sometimes the fast will begin. It's as almost as, as, as almost it's as if if you're almost accepted upon yourself. Uh, okay, I'm stopping to eat, and now it's my fast day. There is an amount called plaga mincha, which is uh, an hour and a uh, an hour and a quarter uh, before um, before uh, before the sunset, um, in which. If one makes a uh, acceptance, he would um, he would he would uh, validate that he has to start his fast within that period. He'd have to start his fast before Yom Kippur. So if one finishes eating and he doesn't say anything, he just finishes eating. It can almost be assumed that he's accepting. As long as it's after Plaga Mincha, he's assumed like maybe he's accepting upon himself the fast earlier, and then he won't be allowed to eat. So that's why he. We, we caution the person, we say, if you finish eating beforehand, okay, you should actually specify that you're not accepting the tainus yet. The fast is not accepting yet. So that uh, you're allowed to eat afterwards until the fast begins. Then you can still eat afterwards till 18 minutes before or whatever, you can still eat. But if you shouldn't make any specification, then you might get yourself into trouble. You might consider this because I finished eating, I've accepted upon myself, and then you want to take a drink. You're not allowed to because you already accepted the fast. So make sure if you finish eating early to have in mind and specify, articulate that you didn't accept the fast in you. What about why not benching right away? Does that kind of... Oh, not benching, of course, then you're still in the meal. But, but one should not, not bench. If you finish your meal, you should bench. If you were if you were benching, um, and you should you should bench, not leave the table or anything else before benching, no. anyways. When it says that you're accepting your fast, does that include the yant itself? Like, um, 
Well, it, you can't separate really the two. I mean, if you're accepting already the um, the fast upon yourself, then you would um, uh, probably. Um, that's an interesting question, but I would get, I would think that it would go together, because you um, can't fast without being the day Yom Kippur. So how would uh, how would that work? Uh, I mean, it seems to me that uh, you can't separate. I mean, it's probably an obvious question somewhere, but it seems to me that. You can't fast if it's not Yom Kippur. Uh, I mean, you can't accept a fast if it's not Yom Kippur. You don't accept just, it's not like a vow, I'm not going to eat for something independent of Yom Kippur. If we say that you accepted Yom Kippur upon yourself, you can't do malacha either, it seems to me. That would, that would be my first answer, but I'd have to look it up to uh, make sure. It seems to me that, that that's the way it is. Um, now, before we light the Shabbos, and this, this year it's Shabbos, but all Yom Kippur, this year, we're going to add in the blessing, we're going to say, Lahadlik Ner, Shekhesham says, Lahadlik Ner, Shel Shabbos, Vishal Yom Kippurim. So we do Shabbos and Yom Kippur. Now, I don't know why it doesn't say, Shel Shabbos Kodesh, in the, I think I quoted him exactly. Uh, I don't know why we shouldn't say, Lahadlik Ner, every. Friday every night by the blessing we say shall Shabbos Kodesh. We don't just say Shal Shabbos. Uh, do we not want to say Kodesh over here? Or or I misquoted, I'm not sure, but it would seem to me that you should say Lahadlik Nair Shal Shabbos Kodesh Shal Yom Kippurim. But again, I have to look, it says here. Uh, let me see. Okay. Actually, so it looks like that the generally the whole word of Kodesh is added by Chabad. The world usually just says Ladlik Ner Shel Shabbos. But whenever we do Shabbos in conjunction with um, another, uh, like with Yom Kippur or with uh, Yom Tov, then we actually don't use the word Kodesh. Then we just say Ladlik Ner Shel Shabbos and Yom Kippurim, or Ladlik Ner Shel Shabbos and, 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 and Yom Tov. Um, the. Um, the Shal Shabbos, Ladik Ner Shal Shabbos, Vishal Yom Kippurim, or Ladik Ner Shal Shabbos, Vishal Yom Tov. And we omit the word Kodesh because maybe the Kodesh would be sort of an interruption in between the Bracha. It's an extra word, but it's not said under, this, under, these, um, under these circumstances. So this is the way to be said. You have to say Ladik Ner Shal Shabbos, Vishal Yom Kippurim. And then it's followed by the Bracha. Of Shechiyonu. Now, of course, the women that make the Shechiyonu at home and by when they light the candles don't make the Shechiyonu again in the shul. Now, men ordinarily make the Shechiyonu for the Yom to buy Kiddush, but of course, on Yom Kippur, there's no Kiddush. That's why we have a Shechiyonu in the shul. So the men would say the Shechiyonu in the shul. Uh, together and answer Amen for the Chazan, let's say it a little quicker than the Chazan, it's in the Chmachzer. But the women who already said Shechiyon once do not say Shechiyon a second time. And um, in, it's customary that in the Shul they should have lots of lighting. In Kippur you do a lot of lighting. Now, each, now we're going to talk about lighting the candles, the lights on uh, for Yom Kippur. Each married person lights for the family two lights so that you're lighting for the family one is called which means that is a light for the living 
that calls for the living family, and a neshama licht, a soul light, that is a soul light, and that is to remember the souls of parents that have departed. Now, one soul light is enough for one's mother and father that have departed. You don't need two. One is enough. However, a couple who both have parents that have departed need an additional soul light so there is one light for each side of the family. So if a married person, you don't need person, the one person who lights for the family would light one for themselves, for their own parents, and one for the wife's parents, something like that. So that means that they would light three lights, one for all the living in the family, and one for the deceased of the family, and one for each, for each side. Now, unmarried people only light the soul light for departed parents. They just do, if they have parents that departed, they will light the soul light. Uh, the living light, though the light for the living, the light for the living is placed in shul, and the soul light is left at home for the Burmerhesh after Avdola, which you're going to use from the Ner Shavas from that light. You know what you're going to say? No, these are your side light. It's a light. A yardside licht is only a name for that licht because you use it for yardside, but it's just a candle. You can use something else. The only thing is that most candles burn out. This burns for 24 hours. But you can use, it's called a yardside candle. Okay. We always grew up, there was one for each person. That's the Chabad tradition that is quoted over here. You don't need for each one, just for each side of the family. Now, a person who's married in the year preceding Yom Kippur, uh, does not put on a kittle, does not put on that white garment, since they already wore one during the chuppah. They put the chuppah. So, so what? So what does it have to do? So that means that the person already experienced the emotional effects that the kittle, that uplifting and that special feeling you're supposed to get, reminds you of shrouds of the dead, etc. You've already experienced it once this year. You don't have to experience it again, and that's why they don't put on a kittle. Uh, a mourner in the year of mourning does put on a kittle. I guess there's some that have issues with that. One should not enter restrooms while wearing a kittle. A kittle gets a certain level of... It's a garment that you wear for davening, for praying. It's just like a talis gudel, oh, yeah. like a talis that you don't take in, you don't bring in the kittle. Even though uh, your tzitzes you wear, but that's a regular garment, but the talis is considered a prayer shawl, and the same thing as the kittle, it's considered a garment that you pray with. Um, they don't take it to the restroom. You take it when you go to the restroom. Uh, okay, now, uh, before Kol Nidre, you know, we take on, the, we put on the talis for Kol Nidre, and in the usual way, and we make the bracha, we have to do it before sunset because you're making the bracha on the talis. After sunset, there's problems if you have to make a bracha because it's not really time for tzitzis. So do the bracha before shkia, before the sun sets. Um, now, there's some people that have issue with wearing shoes. They say you have to wear uh, socks and things like that. But one may wear shoes in our tradition as long as they're not made out of leather. It's fine. You can wear shoes just as long. Can't wear leather shoes, but other than that, it's okay. Uh, when you say leather shoes, total leather. 
Now, uh, even in blend of leather, you shouldn't probably wear a blend of leather either. Now, what happens if the bottom is not leather and the top is leather? Leather, stay away from that. I mean, there's issues with that. Yeah, no. So better no leather, no leather. Do we have we have enough? If you want to wear shoes, there are some Crocs that are which are uh, probably more comfortable than 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 than, than shoes. But whatever works. But you know, stay away from leather. That's the best thing. before going to Kol Nidre, one blesses their sons and daughters. And, uh, and the Rebbe would customarily bless the yeshiva students while dressed in his talis and kittel. And um, the Rebbe Rashab uh, would bless his granddaughters while his hands were above each one of their heads. He would put their hands over their heads. So I guess... I mean, that's the way I do it. Uh, you know, you put the hands over. You don't need necessarily have to do it, but that's the way he did it. And what kind of a blessing do you give? Some people, there's various different blessings. You know, some have the blessings that they do for Friday night. It's not so much in the Chabad tradition to best bless the children on Friday night, but um, the uh, Rebbeim would give the blessing, or they would start off the blessing, Maybe they could do a lot of other things also, but they would do the words of the priestly <coughs> blessings of Yivarechachot, as we do that the Kohanim do, etc. But uh, the Rebbe would start uh, with the opening verse, Vaidabir Hashem HaMoyshe Lamer, Daber Al Aram Al Bonav Lamer Speak to, Shem speaks to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron, so you shall bless. And then he goes on with Yevrecha Hashem Vishvrecha, Yerashem Ponavachanecha Vachunet, Shaponavachanecha Vachunet, Yisam Ponavachanecha Vachasholim. And then he would also conclude with the following, with the final verse, Visomu Ashmiya Bnei Yisrael Bani Avarachem. So he would do that whole section uh, in the blessing. That's what they would do. And that's, I guess, what we should do too. And then add anything else that your heart tells you that you want to do. Does that include a belt also? No, only, only shoes. shoes. You can wear you can wear a leather belt. Okay. Especially if it's a calf belt that you just beat somebody up with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, if one is able to, you should recite the vidu we mentioned earlier, that is the Oshamno and the Alchait, before starting with the chapters of Tilim that precede the Kalnidre, before doing the Kalnidre. This was also the context of the Rabbeim. So right as soon as Yomtev is entering, because you have to tell him before Kol Nidre. But if you have a chance there, you do uh, Shamna and al uh, That's also based on starting the day right away with uh, Atonement in the first instance that the Yomtev comes in. And just in case something took place between the al you said by Mincha and then Sudam of Sekes, so you start with the al over there. And I guess, and then we go to Kol Nidre. That's what I leave